With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. You're listening to the Jam Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. I'm in the car next to you on the highway. I sit in front of you on the bus. I'm one out of every six Americans, and I'm struggling with hunger. This isn't an uncontrollable epidemic. There's enough food in this country to feed every hungry person. Please, visit feedingamerica.org today and find your local food bank. Every dollar you donate helps provide seven meals for those around you, quietly struggling with hunger. Together, we're Feeding America. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Think you could easily get to your family if a disaster struck right now? Think you can wing it during an emergency because you're a New Yorker. Most parents don't realize that protecting your family starts long before an actual disaster strikes. It starts today by being prepared and making a plan. To learn how, take our readiness challenge at nyc.gov slash readynewyork or call 311 for information. In this online tool, you'll be faced with real-life challenges, teaching you the importance of being prepared for a disaster. Brought to you by the New York City Office of Emergency Management and the Ad Council. You are listening to Morning Inspirations on Jam Radio 2.1. Oh, when 
Let Jacob rejoice and Israel be glad.
Jam Radio 2.1.
Good morning once again. Good morning once again. And welcome to Running Inspirations. Running Inspirations. Your talk to in Jam Radio. It's printer. Father, we we come before you this morning. Say thank you. First of all, Lord, forgive us any sins that we've done knowingly and unknowingly. Now remember those, Lord. Please remember those, Lord, who don't know you to pardon their sins. Remember those, Lord, who's in hospital and hospice. And there's a home they were with. Give us up, Brother Albert, to you, Lord. Uh, we lift up those, Lord, who in the highways and byways get ready to go to school and get ready, those get ready to go to school and get ready to go to work this morning. And those who are coming from work. We pray that they be safe. Journey. I remember those, Lord. Please remember those, Lord, who, who are in need, be physical or financial, wherever they need us, Lord. So please, Lord, remember those who, who lost everything. In disaster. Remember the people of the Lord in in the earthquake, Lord. Remember those, Lord, who who were in floods, whose homes were flooded out. Remember those, Lord, who were living on the streets. Lord, please remember those, your people, the Christians who have been persecuted for your sake. Lord, bring back that, please bring back that wayward son, that wayward daughter. That's our family, our friends, our church family, our neighbors as well.
thank you. His name we pray. Share with your protections at Outlook.com is our is our address. Email address. From Jeremiah to Mother Teresa, you'll find plenty of evidence of doubt. It's not uncommon at all. And I've actually come to wonder if maybe you can't really possess the fullness of a great and vigorous faith until through doubt you've examined it and you've struggled with it and you've worked for it. That's the Reverend Dr. Casey Baggett. I'm Peter Wallace, and this is a new day of faith and hope. This is Day One. Welcome to Day One, the weekly program that brings you outstanding preachers from America's mainline Protestant churches, sharing insight and inspiration from God's Word for your life. Now, here's our host, Peter Wallace, to introduce this week's speaker. Thanks, Sherry. We're honored to have with us today the Reverend Dr. Casey Baggett, an ordained United Church of Christ minister who serves as executive minister of the Community Church of Vero Beach, Florida. Before coming to Community Church, she served churches in Minneapolis and was also a bioethics and spiritual ministries consultant for a national health care firm. Casey received her bachelor's in psychology from the University of Minnesota, her master of divinity degree from United Seminary in the Twin Cities, and her Doctor of Ministry degree from the Graduate Theological Foundation in South Bend, Indiana. Casey, welcome to Day One. Thank you, Peter. Back on March 1st, we heard from your husband, the Reverend Dr. Bob Baggett, who serves with you at Community Church of Vero Beach. I understand the church partners with something like 30 local agencies in addressing a, a wide variety of needs. What are some of the ways your church is serving the community? Our church has a long history of community involvement. It was founded as a community church unaffiliated with any particular <laughs> denomination and has had a strong commitment to serving those in its neighborhood ever since. We've had uh, a long history of partnering with other groups, and in fact many of the social service agencies that exist in Vero Beach were started in part out of the initiative <laughs> of congregation members um, of community church. So we're proud of that. We've uh, been part of building community centers in uh, more disadvantaged And we have some new initiatives going right now, in fact, um, to have, um, again, our members and our church involved in very helpful ways in our community. A strong emphasis on our community still exists. Mm -hmm. We learned that Community Church has some new forms of worship, some new services, and one of which is a quiet meditative service. Tell us about that one. This has been an exciting thing to uh, begin to develop, Peter. We've long had an interest in uh, spiritual typing. Um, <laughs> Corinne Ware wrote a book some years ago that um, provided a little testing instrument, and you could offer it to your congregation to see what sort of spiritual types might be within <laughs> that congregation. Intellectual or head-centered approach, a heart-centered approach, a hands-on mission-driven mm -hmm. approach, and a mystical approach. And we do think about that periodically. We sort of know where our congregation fits um, among those possibilities. And we try to offer opportunities for each of those groups to feel 
uh, welcome and at home and to uh, allow their own spiritual lives to best flourish if that's their bent and that's their perspective. We didn't feel we had uh, a niche that particularly offered a quiet and reflective mm -hmm. person that chance to encounter God. So we now, once a month, offer um, a quiet, reflective service. We've called it Song and Silence. Mm. It's a blend, I would say, between a Teze service, perhaps a Benedictine liturgy of the hours mm -hmm. or a Vesper service, a bit of music, a good bit of quiet, some chanting of psalms together. And then we allow time afterwards for simple, private meditation in our chapel and also a, a labyrinth walk mm. by starlight in our area outside in our courtyard. So it's a, it's a lovely addition, I think, to the range of services we offer and um, reaches a small but um, devoted group mm -hmm. of people. Well, your sermon today for the second Sunday of Easter is based on John chapter 20, the well-known story of so-called Doubting Thomas. Would you read the passage for us? I'd be glad to. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. This is such a powerful and moving account of this encounter between the risen Christ and his disciples, first without Thomas. Poor Thomas will forever be branded as the doubter, but you're going to challenge that today in your sermon entitled Parked Beliefs. Casey, thanks for being with us. It's a privilege to be here, Peter. Thanks for having me. And if you'd like to listen again to today's program or read or share a transcript of Casey Baggett's sermon, visit our website at dayone.org. Or for a free printed sermon transcript, call us toll-free at 1-888-411-DAY1. very limited parking available around our church, which poses some special challenges for us, especially on top attendance Sundays like Easter. We've developed a diligent and committed parking team to help with the problem, and one Easter a few years ago, the parking volunteers were out in full force, wearing orange vests and carrying walkie-talkies, trying to make the process of parking seamless. The major challenge for our parking team was going to be helping cars exchange spots between services. Well, as you might imagine, the spots nearest the sanctuary had been refilled well before the second service was set to begin, when a parking volunteer noticed one lone car backing out of a really prime spot. He was delighted to see that the next car approaching his turn into the lot was driven by an older woman who was coming alone, and he thought, well, how wonderful that I'll be able to help her get this desirable parking place on Easter. So the parking volunteer began enthusiastically waving her from the street into our lot, 
as you might direct a plane toward its airport gate. At first, the woman seemed a bit confused about heading into the apparently full lot, so he increased his waving and pointing so she'd see where he wanted her to go. Such a prime spot. Well, she finally pulled in and parked, and our proud parking volunteer walked to the car to wish her Happy Easter and help her get out. But she rolled down her window, still looking a little confused, and said, I don't go to this church. I've been a member of the Baptist church down the street for over 60 years. Have you ever felt like that? Like you got guided and maneuvered and parked someplace you weren't really sure you wanted to be? Maybe you feel you have been parked in a location or parked in a job or parked in an idea that hasn't taken you where you really wanted or needed to go. Truth is, a lot of us have been taught notions or beliefs and then parked our minds there when maybe we ought to have kept going and kept searching. For example, haven't most of us parked our minds already around understandings of who Jesus' disciple Thomas was that we hear about in the scripture text for today? We know him as Doubting Thomas. Yes, that's what I was taught to call him in my Sunday school days. Thomas doubted Jesus' resurrection, and we must not under any circumstances be like Doubting Thomas. You know, the older I've become, and the more I've learned by study and experience, the more I dislike being maneuvered into that parking place, and the more I want to revise my opinion of Thomas. In fact, there are three things I want to point out about this old familiar story of Doubting Thomas today that I hope will keep us from parking our beliefs prematurely about him and his legacy. The first thing I hope we'll see from Thomas's story is that doubt is not always such a bad thing. In fact, as Dr. Bill Self notes, I must admit that there is a place in the Christian life for honest doubt, for doubt is always the prelude to faith. If you review the lives of the great prophets and saints, from Jeremiah to Mother Teresa, you'll find plenty of evidence of doubt. It's not uncommon at all. It's there in all the greatest and most faithful lives. And I've actually come to wonder if maybe you can't really possess the fullness of a great and vigorous faith until through doubt you've examined it and you've struggled with it and you've worked for it. It's been said that Jesus himself was a doubter from a certain perspective. At least he knew how to employ it creatively for the life of faith. He doubted that anger and violence were ways to resolve differences, so he said, forgive one another. He doubted that the long prayers and rigid dietary laws and cleanliness codes of his religious tradition were essential to faith, so he talked about practicing an honest, simple, trusting faith. He doubted that Samaritans were of less inherent worth than others, so he told a parable about the good Samaritan and the neglectful priest. So yes, maybe. Maybe the capacity to doubt is the prelude to establishing vital, meaningful faith commitments. Have you had the privilege of struggling with a few faith-shaping doubts of your own? I hope so. I think most of us have, and so we ought to have some sympathy and respect for Thomas. The biblical story of Thomas is found only in the Gospel of John, and by the time the writer of John's Gospel records this story, it is from a distance of around 70 years after Jesus' death, a time when Jewish and Gentile Christians were experiencing tremendous persecution from the Romans. Certainly those Christians were doubtful frequently about the wisdom of having adopted this faith. The risks were great, 
and many of them were tempted to go into hiding for their own self-protection. Now with that backdrop, we can see why the author of John's Gospel would have felt it particularly meaningful to tell the story of the very first group of Jesus' followers who, after the crucifixion, were also doubtful about their futures and tempted to go into hiding. They were all huddled in the upper room, locked away behind securely closed doors, and there we encounter Thomas. You know the story. He had ventured out from the closed room one day and missed Jesus' appearance among the disciples. And when he returned to the room, he refused to believe what they had to say and their assertions that the risen Christ had been there. And why was he doubtful? Now, this is critical to the story and leads us to the second point I want us to see, which is this. Thomas is doubtful and says he will not believe until he can see and touch for himself. Or in other words, Thomas wants proof in the form of empirical verification. But what's wrong with that? Wouldn't you want proof? In our scientific age, we've all been trained to verify through sensory experience empirical evidence. Thomas actually stands as a pivotal figure in the Christian story precisely because while all the disciples before him did get to see and touch and hear Jesus directly, the millions of us who come after Thomas don't have that opportunity. So you see, a new phase or a new stage of church life and faith begins with this story of Thomas. Thomas stands at a transition point. Yet notice how Jesus responds to Thomas's demand for proof. He doesn't rebuke him for wanting it. Indeed, Jesus gives him what he needs for faith. He lets him see and touch. But then Jesus goes on to say, for the benefit of all of us who will follow Thomas and hear of this story, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. That line is intended for us, of course, we who cannot see, cannot verify, cannot amass proof, and yet are invited to the blessings of faith in Jesus Christ nonetheless. Perhaps we need to ask ourselves, what do we need to believe? How is it possible for us to believe if we don't get what the disciples and ultimately even Thomas got? You might ask yourself, what is the basis of your belief? Have you had some experience, some insight, read something, heard something, seen something? What? How can you believe, especially when maybe like Thomas, you've already been disappointed or disillusioned? And the last thing you want to do is foolishly believe in another impossibility. Is belief in something you cannot fully verify just wishful thinking? Is it just grasping at straws? I love the story Father Henry Nowen shared about an experience that helped him with that question. Nowen was a fan of the Flying Rodleys, who were German trapeze artists. Nowen, a Catholic priest, says that he greatly admired these acrobats, and they befriended him and even let him practice with them on the trapeze. Once, Nowen recalls, he asked the leader of the troop about flying through the air. He said, as a flyer, I must have complete trust in my catcher. The public might think that I am the great star of the trapeze, but the real star is Joe, my catcher. He has to be there for me with split-second precision and grab me out of the air. I have simply to stretch out my arms and hands and wait for him to catch me. The worst thing the flyer can do is to try to catch the catcher. A flyer must fly, and a catcher must catch, and the flyer must trust with outstretched arms that his catcher will be there for him. 
don't we live like the flyer on the trapeze? We are spinning and swirling through life, unable to see where we're headed. We can't see or touch or prove the existence of a catcher who won't let us fall. But nevertheless, we must learn to reach out our hands and believe that we will be safely caught and held. Blessed are those who cannot see, yet who have come to believe because sometimes reaching out in faith unseeingly but trustingly is really the only way open to us. True, we may not get the empirical proof we'd like, the kind Thomas demanded, but really, we don't have that kind of proof for any of the things that are most important to us, do we? How can we conclusively prove love or friendship or hope? We can't, but we know they exist. We feel them. And day by day and even moment by moment, we need to hold out our hands and just trust we'll receive them. And that leads me to the third and final point I hope we'll see in this story of Thomas. It's about the imperative of staying near to our friends in faith. Thomas had lost his trust, you see. He couldn't reach out in faithful confidence to anyone. Did you notice that Thomas missed seeing Jesus in the first place because he had left the room where all the disciples gathered? He had left the others. But he was granted all he needed for belief when he came back and stood among his fellow disciples. I'm coming to think that the most important part of what this gospel story is teaching us is that we will find the assurance we need for belief most readily in the fellowship of others. And if we are to brand Thomas as having been faithless, then his faithlessness did not lie only in doubting Jesus' resurrection. His faithlessness also lay in his unwillingness to stay with his friends and trust and believe with them and in them. And that's always a problem. Reverend King Duncan once told the story of a 97-year-old woman who, looking back, said she had learned the most important lesson of her life when only a child. She and a group of friends had decided one afternoon to climb Mount Washington in New Hampshire. Before they were able to descend, a late afternoon fog rolled in and enveloped them all in its thick, obscuring whiteness. They couldn't see the way ahead, and so they agreed they would move down the mountain very slowly, inch by inch. And they agreed that they would all hold hands and they would not under any circumstances let go of each other. Remembering the event years later, the woman said of this experience, sometimes all I could see was the hand ahead of me and the one behind me. Sometimes my arms ached so badly I thought I would cry out loud, but that is how we made it at last. We found our way home by holding on to one another. What a metaphor for the significance of maintaining durable and trusting relationships with other searching and faithful people. Of course, we'll still undergo the challenges of those girls on the mountainside. Sometimes we'll get lost. Sometimes we'll be strained to stay together strained by our differences, though we share a faith. Sometimes we'll be unwilling or unable to trust what the others are telling us or to credit their insights into the way ahead. But if we can hang together, we can cover some pretty rough terrain safely and securely. You know, I find myself today honored to be a part of the church universal that keeps trying to hang together and I'm equally proud to be a part of my own church family. So often I have witnessed someone reach out, take a hand, 
grab hold of somebody in danger of being lost or alone or falling. I've watched as church members sat beside grieving families at funerals just to offer a touch of comfort. I've seen Christ's people bring flowers to hospitalized church members or communion to shut in. I've seen them build houses for Habitat for Humanity and mentor youth and tutor children. I've watched them open their hearts and their wallets to the victims of several hurricanes, a tsunami, and an earthquake, and never begrudged the money spent on behalf of others. And I've watched the diligence of Christ's people in staying close to one another for good in a thousand other ways besides across the years, trusting that all that effort and irritation and expense and risk were worth it. And what's the payoff? It's that being in one another's company, doing the work of faith together, is where we all encounter the healing, loving, breathing spirit of Christ. Thomas learned that when he came back to the upper room and encountered the risen Christ with the others. So Thomas, the proof seeker, doesn't deserve to be parked in the dismal and unredeemable category of doubter, I don't think. Because do you know what happens after the scene we read about today? Do you know what Thomas does next? He gets up out of that locked room where he and the others found the proof they needed of Christ's spirit alive and well, and he went out to serve in that spirit, tradition tells us, until his death, fearlessly and with utter conviction. Actually, Thomas has become something of a hero to me because of that. He had the tenacity to seek until he found and the courage to live the rest of life fully trusting in the glory and grace of God which he glimpsed that day. What a gift that kind of faithful courage can be. Bishop William Williman tells of once visiting a man with only a couple of days left to live. He asked a man whether he was fearful. To Williman's surprise, the man replied, Fear? No, I'm not fearful because of my faith in Jesus. The man continued explaining, I look back over my life, all the mistakes I've made, all the times I've turned away from Jesus, gone my own way, strayed, and gotten lost. Time and time again, he found a way to get to me, looked for me when I wasn't looking for him. I don't think he will let something like my dying defeat his love for me. What could get in the way of God's love for you? Closed doors? Doubts? Demands? No, of course not. Illness, hardships, failings, mistakes? No. Nothing can separate you from God's love. The challenge, then, is just to trust in that and live in light of that, even when we cannot always see it or feel it. Maybe in remembrance of blustering Thomas, we all just ought to widen our standards of proof to encompass the truth of all the wondrous ways God's love already has and is and will come to us until we can say with joyful conviction, All I have seen teaches me to trust God for all I have not yet seen. Let's not get ourselves steered into any other smaller conclusion. Let's not settle for parking our minds and our beliefs anywhere else than in the assurance of God's eternal, unconquerable love for us. Amen. Sherry Miller, why should you support the Day One Radio Ministry? 
because it's helping countless people like you. For instance, Brenda, a listener in Pennsylvania, says, Every Sunday, day one gives me a message I can carry throughout my week. Mike in Minnesota says, There's not another program like day one. It allows you to hear the word of God from so many gifted voices. Please, give generously so day one can continue to proclaim this much-needed message on the radio and online. Mail your gift to Day One, 2715 Peachtree Road, Atlanta, Georgia, 30305. That's 2715 Peachtree Road, Atlanta, Georgia, 30305. Or call us at 1-888-411-DAY1. Or give securely online at dayone.org. On behalf of everyone at Day One, thank you for your support. Now, Casey Baggett offers some final reflections on her sermon today with our host, Peter Wallace. Casey, you suggested many of us have parked our minds with certain notions we've been taught, getting stuck without thinking seriously about them. One of those notions is that Thomas was the great doubter, and that is a bad thing. I love the quote you shared from Dr. Bill Self, that there is a place in the Christian life for honest doubt, for doubt is always the prelude to faith. Why do you think doubt has such a bad reputation in Christian circles, and how, how would you say it can actually help build faith? Yes, it saddens me to see that doubt has such a bad reputation because I suppose I have been a long-term doubter mm-hmm. and maybe still do doubt sure. many a time. Um, some of the premises that we are frequently taught Christians must believe, have to believe, to be orthodox, to be in the, in the loop. And it saddens me because I think Christianity, when it takes that defensive posture, loses so much of its strength. It loses its chance to be relevant to the world, to touch people's hearts and minds where they are, wherever they may be, including those places of uncertainty. I think it's precisely at those places of uncertainty where we have a chance to grow. Those are our growing edges. So explore what you don't understand. Explore what you can't quite accept and see where that will lead you. I don't think we need to fear that God is insulted by that or hurt by that. God's big enough to manage the challenge, as indeed this story shows us from uh, this gospel text today. Um, I've always considered Thomas a bit of a hero. Another key point from Thomas's story you noted was the importance of staying near to our friends in faith. He didn't, and he missed a wonderful experience. It's easy for us to make excuses not to be involved in a church community, what is Thomas's story telling us about this? I do think that wandering away when we find ourselves a bit at odds with fellow believers is a common problem, particularly these days when there is no particular social stigma mm-hmm. to not attending a church, not being part of a church community, and people find themselves a bit at odds, a little bit uh, doubtful of this or that, and they simply walk away rather than rock the boat or mm-hmm. feel they're out of step with one another. I'm really a proponent of hanging in there, mm-hmm. letting ourselves feel the concerns, the doubts, 
um, the unwillingness of others perhaps to share our precise perspective, but hanging in there together for all the richness that that offers in the life of faith. I think the community offers us so much, challenges us so much, and we grow by that. Casey, what's one thing from your sermon that you hope stays with our listeners in this week ahead? I hope that people hearing this sermon and then rethinking the story of Thomas will be encouraged by their own um, points of doubt, their own uncertainties, not to see them as failures on their part or lack of faith on their part, but in fact perhaps the little nudge to help them grow and spread their wings to try something new, to read something new, to ask a new question of someone they respect and admire, and to keep growing. Casey Baggett, thank you for being with us. It's been my privilege. Thank you, Peter. Day One is the voice of America's mainline Protestant churches. Visit us online at dayone.org. Our program is recorded and edited by Donald Jones and produced by Peter Wallace. Thank you for joining us. I'm Sherry Miller wishing you all God's blessings on day one and forever.
You are listening to Morning Inspirations on Jam Radio 
this is Morning Inspirations with Minister Kenneth Jenkins.
dedicated to all my people that felt like giving up and you didn't think we was going to make it. Franklin, 21, 21 past the hour, Kurt Franklin, 
and he reigns. I want to say good morning to all of you who are listening to us live and by way of podcast. We'll be back with more music right after this. You are listening to Morning Inspirations on Jam Radio 2.1. Jesus declared in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 16, verses 18 and 19, And I also say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. As the church of Jesus Christ, we aren't supposed to cower inside our buildings in a defensive posture, as if we were under siege. We aren't to look so much like the world and act so much like the world that no one can tell the difference. We aren't left here to hold the fort until Jesus rescues us. He said the gates of hell shall not stand against our attack. That means we're to be on the offensive. Isaiah tells us to cry loud and spare not. In other words, we need to do as God commanded us to do to advance the kingdom of God. Determine now to live each day, including today, as a vital part of the Holy Ghost-filled Church of Jesus Christ, against which the gates of hell cannot stand. Hey, there's my son. You've been in your room all morning. Hey, Dad. Um, Matt, what's wrong with your voice? There is nothing wrong with my voice. Oh, well, it's just sort of... I have been playing my video games and electronic games for so many hours. Uh-huh. Well, it sounds like it might be time for you to take a break or... Hello, Dad. Um, Susan? I have been watching TV and text messaging all morning. Yeah, electronics. Guys, I think it's about time to get in the car and take a little trip. Maybe see some trees, some green things. What are these green things you speak of? This weekend, unplug. Take your family to the forest. There's nothing in the world like experiencing nature firsthand. Trees, paths, bluebirds, streams, getting closer to nature can get you closer to your family. To find the forest nearest you, go to discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Angelina Jolie-Pitt said she has made 11 visits to Syrian refugees in Iraq, Jordan, Lebanon, Turkey, and Malta since the civil conflict began in 2011. At that time, she said the refugees she met had hope. But when she returned next, hope was turning to anger. On her last visit in February, the U.N. envoy explained that anger had subsided into resignation and misery. Here's Angelina Jolie-Pitt. Nearly four million Syrian refugees are victims of a conflict they have no part in. Yet they are stigmatized, unwanted, and regarded as a burden. So I'm here for them because this is their United Nations. The purpose of the UN is to prevent and end conflict, to bring countries together, to find diplomatic solutions, and to save lives. We are failing to do this in Syria. Ms. Jolie-Pitt added that the problem is based on a lack of political will. She urged members of the Security Council to visit Syrian refugees to see firsthand their suffering and the impact on the region. She also called for Syrian women to be fully represented in future peace negotiations. Stephanie Kutrix, United Nations. You are listening to Morning Inspirations on Jam Radio 2.1. <laughs>
You serious, Becky? No, genius. I'm not serious. Ow! My arm! It hurts! Buzz driving. Maybe we should stop acting like it's no big deal. Buzz driving is drunk driving. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Transportation, the Ad Council, and this station.
Would you join with me, please, in prayer? Pray with me. Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. Jesus, thank you that you loved me enough that you became a man and died on a cross, paid the price for all the wrong things that I have done. I'm sorry for my sin. It's my sin that puts you on that cross. And I'm sorry. I don't want to live in rebellion to you anymore. I ask you to forgive me. And tonight I open my heart and I invite you into my life to be my Savior and my Lord. I believe, Jesus, you are the Son of God. I believe you died for me to pay the price for all the wrong things that I've committed against God and against man. I believe that on the third day, by the power of God, you were raised from the dead as living proof that my trust in you tonight is not in vain. I believe that as Christ was raised from the dead, so tonight, Almighty God, you are raising me from the dead, from the death of sin. You are giving me a new life, the life of Jesus Christ. Oh, God, on my testimony and the belief in my heart and according to your word, at this moment, I believe I am saved. I am saved. I am saved. Oh, let me ask you, friends, in closing tonight, have you done this? Have you obeyed the gospel? Have you obeyed the gospel? Have you come to that obedience of faith? Have you come to that place of true repentance and true faith? Have you turned around? Have you forsaken your sin? Have you turned around? Have you forsaken your sin? Are you trusting alone tonight in Jesus Christ for your salvation? For there is no other way, there is no other method. For there is no other way, there is no other method. Oh, come to him, come to the Saviour tonight. Come to him just as you are. Come to him in your sin. Come to him in all your needs. And cast yourself upon his mercy and upon his infinite grace. Cast yourself upon his mercy and upon his infinite grace. Cast yourself truly to him. And you too will enter into that joy sins forgiven, peace with God, and eternal, abundant life, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. How can I say thanks for the things you have done for me, things so You gave your very life for me. The voices of a million angels 
could easily get to your family if a disaster struck right now. Think you can wing it during an emergency because you're a New Yorker. Most parents don't realize that protecting your family starts long before an actual disaster strikes. It starts today by being prepared and making a plan. To learn how, take our readiness challenge at nyc.gov slash readynewyork or call 311 for information. In this online tool, you'll be faced with real-life challenges, teaching you the importance of being prepared for a disaster. Brought to you by the New York City Office of Emergency Management and the Ad Council. You're listening to the Jam Radio Network with Minister Kennedy Jenkins. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.